for our Canadian lifters. Pure passion, real results, what you put in your body should matter. Pure Vita Labs PVL supplements are clean, tested, and approved. Powering athletes for over 25 years. They also power the KOTL podcast. You could trust PVL. Use code KOTL15 for partnership pricing at PVL.com. Indie Performance is an online nutrition coaching platform that specializes in helping strength athletes optimize their training, making weight classes, or just achieve their aesthetic goals without the steamed chicken and broccoli lifestyle. Head over to IndiePerformance.com. That's I-N-D-I performance.com to find out more. Six-pack lap it at. We got Arian Messi Kamesi. And today we got a special guest, Claire Zai. And Claire was just saying it's Zai like apple pie. There it is. If, if anyone's wondering, easy to remember. And Claire, we were talking about um, I was just saying to you before we started recording how I like how your social media you do your posts and you offer the information and you're so well organized and everything. Um, and I think I like I had like message you before and i said claire i like how you've organized your posting and whatnot and done this and this was like a clear concise um something you've thought about and we're kind of like a little bit of trial and error to put this together in terms of how you want to deliver your coaching information etc yeah it's been a trial and error over time trying to figure out what works what doesn't and trying to kind of hone in on what people actually respond to and gets the message across without being long-winded or confusing, I guess. So, I mean, it's, or salesy. Or, well, that's the other one too. Here's the thing. It's difficult because in this day and age, I got I don't got to tell you, Arian, neither. Uh, in the same situation, Arian is with the strength guys. And it doesn't matter even like, you could be brilliant in terms of what you do. And, and obviously, like I did a little research on you, you got a master's. We'll go into all like your schooling and whatnot. And you, and obviously elite lifter the whole nine. So you can be absolutely brilliant. And I've talked to people like, I remember talking to guys like even like Mike Z from RTS, like people who know like Mike Desher, who's like a, you know, a legend in the game for programming and a, a athlete as well. And like, it doesn't matter who it is. And sometimes they'll say like the struggle or even talking to the, the strength guys, Arian working with Jason Tremblay, who has like, you know, Leah Bavois, Taylor Atwood, Selene the Machine, whatever, a bunch of them. And um, they'll say, like, we have the knowledge, we have the schooling, we have the athletes. But sometimes the marketing, particularly when it comes to social media, it's tough. Because like you said, like, how do you convey what you want to convey? Not coming off too much information, not coming off like a sales pitch. People scroll, people don't mm -hmm. like. I don't, nobody wants to follow you if they think they're being pitched and it's, it's a very yeah. difficult proposition, isn't it? Yeah. I think something that I've done that's been super successful for me is I've stopped thinking about social media as a funnel to get me clients. I think about social media as an active service that I do for the community that I work with. And that has completely changed how I think about social media. And it tells me, Hey, social media is the thing you do because you want to grow a community that is productive mm. and that's actually been really helpful that's actually pro that totally makes sense which is like if you're gonna make posts uh, yeah so basically throw out information up like offer this up 
And then, oh, by the way, I have coaching service if you like this. Or, oh, by the way, let them grow yeah. naturally to, do you like the way I convey my information? Do you, you see mm-hmm. my lifts? You see my, throw it all out there. And then you'll notice in my link in the bio or you'll notice whatever. Yeah. That's cool. But it's not yeah, like. Yeah, the content does the work itself. I don't right. have to do the work. Mm. It's tough. And for some people, I feel like it comes more natural than others. Like some people like, yeah, but you know, you can say that and you're like, gotcha. And then they get, I can't say that. I'm not going to say that those words did not come out of my mouth. (laughs) It is. It's just like, um, it's tough. I understand some people like Irene, how do you feel about it? In terms of, well, I was going to say the other tough part now is we're going towards shorter and shorter content. So like, even with the KOTO posts, but even like with my own like coaching stuff is like, how can I now get this information down into like 60 seconds or 30 seconds or 20 mm-hmm. seconds? So it keeps getting shorter and shorter. So that's the other difficulty. Um, but I, I, I take it the same way Claire does. And I've seen people in other industries do it too. It's like, you're just giving out information, especially like top athletes. Everyone looks up to, they're asking them, Oh, how many times a week you train or, Hey, how do you get past injuries? How do you get past this? What's your favorite exercise for this? You're just giving out free information. Like here, if you want to do it on your own, here's all the free information on the internet for you to do on your own. But if you're not capable of doing it on your own, or if you want help anyways, then you're gonna have to pay out for that. And then if you happen to provide coaching services or whatever services, then they may come to you because you're the one giving out all the free information. Mm. And they grow like a report. The information is free. The mm. application of that information is not. That's another good way of looking at it. And they grow like a trust for you. Like, like I trust mm-hmm. you as a source. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in marketing, I think, I forget what the exact number is, but somewhere between like, it takes like seven to nine interactions with a brand or a company before you actually like actually think about like buying it. So like, if you saw a commercial for like McDonald's or Coca-Cola or whatever like that, they're they're bombarding you on social media, on TV, in stores, and everything multiple times until finally you're like, all right, all right I'm going to go buy it. So it's the same thing with that. It's not just like, oh, I see one post from Claire, I'm going to go sign with her for coaching. They see posts from her over weeks, months, maybe even years. And then once it becomes time when they want to do something as far as uh, coaching, whatever like that, then she becomes an option. It's um, in this day and age too, it's kind of difficult to separate yourself with so many people with the exact same access like they have. Instagram and there there's a million coaches out there. And um, yeah. What do you think in terms of like point of differentiation? How do you feel about that? Claire? Like, how do I differentiate myself? I think differentiating yourself is important. There's something that we're all good at Mm. and it doesn't always have to be specifically powerlifting or whatever it is you're trying to do. For me, I try and speak to women in powerlifting and women who are starting to strength and condition and get into the weight room, start to resistance train because so much of the messaging that I see from coaches is darker black and red and has a lot of fight themes associated with it with, which I don't think speaks to women as often. Mm. And so giving them information that has just, it's the same information. I wouldn't, I would argue that the information that I put out is not substantially different from most people but it's just directed a little bit differently and mm-hmm. I speak about it a little bit differently and I have the background to kind of discuss it on a different level, but the information itself is not different. And that makes sense. Cause like, if I'm honest, you think about like, um, like for, for instance, obviously like I'm running King of List, I'm a dude. 
And, you know, I would, you're right in terms of like verbiage I might use. Like um, I log in and I'm like, oh, I just came off watching the UFC. And I'm like making posts about like, like it makes sense. It's true. Like there's obviously fan, women fans of the UFC, et cetera. But there is totally. like, you're right in terms of, um, yeah, there might be some difference in terms of how you relay information, how you take in information, et cetera. And, uh, and there is like, even like when you think about podcasts, you know, there, there's, I would like to see more women doing like major podcasts. And, and I, mm-hmm. we try to like bring on women for like preview shows, recap shows. We don't do the greatest job sometimes, but, um, you guys bring on, no, two white lights brings on Solana. Sorry. That's your, competitor, that's right. Probably. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gotta get, you gotta get on it. Oh, shoot. That's right. Maybe we I'm really excited to see Solana on more podcasts though. It's really cool. Maybe we got to bring you on. This is your segue to be like, hey, yo, <laughs> my phone isn't ringing, right? <laughs> but uh, but it's true. It is. Um, it's different to like, it, you should hear a voice that's like a female voice or from a female representation, which definitely helps. Um, mm-hmm. And these point of differentiation, sometimes it just happens naturally, like you said, you know, where you're like, I didn't see a lot of this. Let me represent this. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's natural. It's not something that you yeah. have to like, it's more difficult, I think, if you tell yourself, how do I, I need to stand out. So you force a standout and it's like, oh, it might not come off the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will argue that people who are strong and can like show it off are able to differentiate themselves more easily. So like yeah. some of the top guys in powerlifting don't have to differentiate themselves because their lifts do that. Mm. That's just the way the world works. So there's multiple ways to differentiate yourself. They aren't always intellect or strength. There's other options too. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. You post uh, like a massive squat, massive deadlift, and um, you can get some crazy traction. You posted Russell or if you're Russell or and you smash a huge squat with the dog tags in your mouth, you probably can get a crazy amount of likes and shares. And then in that caption or somewhere along the lines, you talk about your app and then boom. Everyone's like, yeah, exactly. It's tough. Uh, that's why sometimes, you know, coaching services, like having a roster now matters, like having like your, who's on your roster. And then you could be using mm. them to, to gain more clientele. And that can be a difficult mm. proposition for someone starting off. And it's like, whoa, it's tough when you don't have a roster yet. Yeah. I think that's why we see people trying to poach clients. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. true. <laughs> that's probably true. That's yeah. yeah. People sliding in DMs and being like, you know, I noticed your bench hasn't moved in a little while. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> Stuff like that. It happens, right? Oh, man. I remember at one of my first meets I did, it was my first USAPL meet. Somebody came over and was like, I know how we're gonna fix your squat. And I was like in the middle of a meet and I turned and I looked at the guy handling me and I was like, uh what? <laughs> Yeah, it's a little late. Go away. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like I'm a little preoccupied. First off, and like I'm in the middle of a competition. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it is what it. Yeah, and and I guess like that's also why um, being your own client or being your like you're on your own roster when you are the strength athlete. So when you start off from scratch, um, at the very least, if you yourself are strong. Like you're your own like advertisement, right? As opposed to mm-hmm. what's difficult, like Jason Trombley was talking about previously. He's like, Frig, man, it was tough because Jason's like, 
I'm not an, an elite powerlifter. He's it's, thank God they got Taylor Atwood early. It can roll with it because he's like, I would be in big trouble. Like it is, I, I, I feel for people like that. Arian, how do you feel about it in that situation? Uh, what was that? You broke up on me right there. In terms of like, um, you know, bringing in new clients, usually it's based off a of clientele, no? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for, for me, for example, I was never strong. And so for me, I started out for free and then just build up the clientele that way. And I got lucky yeah. that I found some people in Florida that happened to be like up and coming people. So I had one lifter, Natalie Tarana, who broke a Kimberly Wofford squat American record and got second place at nationals before behind Jennifer Thompson. So like that really helped me out. And then I had another lifter in Florida, Leanne Hewitt, who has a sub junior pulled the open world record deadlift and she won a bunch of sub junior world and junior world. So that helped me out too. So sometimes you just have to, you know, work with people locally, work with people who are up and coming, maybe for less money or for free. And then as you're building those people up, then you can build your resume that way. And hopefully you get lucky off of uh, some of their accomplishments. It's, it's all about gaining some steam. Once you start gaining, sorry, go ahead, Claire. Oh, I just was curious what you guys think about individuals who refer you. Like how often do you get referred to mm. other, or have new clients referred to you from clients you existing or you have, wow, words are hard. You <laughs> already have who are capable of like saying, like singing your praise. I think that's also very powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, what do you guys feel about like, for sure your, your people are definitely going to go grab other people if you, if you're doing well with them. And, um, there's nothing like growing somebody from baseline, the first enter and then growing them into something. And then that's like a huge, like, what have you done since they've been with you? Um, but mm -hmm. do you guys have like work on like referral programs? Do you encourage it? How does all that work? No, I'm, no, I'm sure there's I some don't. people out there. Go ahead. I don't uh, intentionally, but it does happen occasionally. Mm. Like I just got a new client from an old client. It happens. And I think it's the most organic because you know that the match will be good. And the communication will probably be good between the two people. So. Well, they know what to expect from you too, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they've you? been told how great you are. Right. As a person. Not just like, oh, they have these great lifters, but they know how to communicate. They get programming done on time. They... Mm do everything that makes me feel valued as a client. They want to feel valued. And that's what they're telling their friends. And at least too, um, the person that referred them can be like, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with you, but this is how many times I squatted a week. This is how many times I benched a week. This is the volume I face. This is, you know, so it's not totally, I mean, it's weird how some, not weird, but like some coaching services have reputations for, the way they, they program, you know, like the, the volume or, mm -hmm. um, you know, and stuff like, and that can change from like, how do you think that kind of thing changes from, from coaching service to coaching service? You have ideas oh. or yeah. Uh, what do you, no, what do you, not, think? not off the top of my head. Uh, what do you think Arian? Because the strength guys, I think historically would be seen as like a volume and maybe, and maybe you would say, I don't think so. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of coaches out there have their own, you can call it like a system or a process. And that's a good thing that you actually like believe in some kind of system that you know will work for the majority of people. And then you may have to make adjustments here and there for extreme cases. And so, um, yeah, some people are known for conjugate training or some people are known for linear periodization or some people are known for, you know, high frequency, high volume. Some people are known for like high intensity. Um, so that way, yeah, if you are like we're going through a friend, you can at least maybe like look at your friend's program or maybe you've been training with them in the gym and you've seen what they've done and you know they're going and squatting three times a week and benching four times a week and delfting two times a week and that kind of stuff. And so you already kind of know what you're getting into rather than, you know, picking some other company or some other coach where you don't know exactly what the programming is because for the vast majority of coaches out there, you don't actually know what the program is. You might see what Russ puts online or you might see what like uh, some other lifter puts online, but you don't know what the actual program Mm. for any of these teams or coaches look like um, unless specifically you're looking at it from a lifters uh, that's underneath them or if they have some kind of free program that mimics what they normally do. And this is the thing where like you see highlights, like, like you just said in terms of, um, yeah, you, you think, you know, what like Taylor Russ or whoever, Jesus, insert whatever lifter you're following or, or Claire. And um, you're like, no, I, I think I know how they do it. But when you actually get a hold of the program, like, holy shit, some of the stuff that isn't as like fun to look at, like the singles, like the amount of like back work or variations could be entirely never shared. And you, when you get that program, like, oh, wow, this is entirely different than I would have thought. Um, have you so in terms of like your roster? Uh, Claire, is it mostly, do you have like certain people, like you work with people in the untested? Do you, you said you like working with women. Do you find like you'll fight, you'll try to do more roster geared towards women or you're like, you know what, whatever I'll do like a mix or do you do a, do a selection process? Do you prefer some people? Uh, I'm loaning you with a lot of questions here. Answer whatever you want. <laughs> but uh, do you, do you prefer to work with people newer to the sport or like elite level? I work with people at all levels. I enjoy all levels. They all present different challenges. But I think one of my favorites is the new lifter who's like just getting into it because you get to experience the excitement all over again, just mm. like when you were a new lifter. And you're like, this is so much fun. I'm learning so much. I'm getting so excited about small changes that make a big effect at the end. And so I really enjoy kind of the back and forth with the new lifter. That's really fun for me. I don't have a specific selection process. I do end up with my current coaching roster has 75% women on it and is slowly growing to be more and more women. So whether that is, that is partially intentional, I really enjoy working with women. I think they're really fun to work with. Mm. And I think they have a unique set of communication and communication nuances and barriers to training that I understand uniquely mm. and it can just be really fun to work through those with them. So, yeah. Yeah. I bet 100%. And you were actually saying um, before we started that you were, you were working on like, like a side project. Can you talk about that side project mm -hmm. or, okay, cool. Yeah, I can, I can talk about it a little bit. I'm talking or I'm working on creating a course for women. Well, it's a course for, all people it's directed at all people but the original intent was for women who wanted to get into training who didn't really know the next step maybe they understood enough about resistance training to like go to a gym and be able to do things but not enough to create progress mm. 
mm. and create adaptation. And so my initial intent was like, all right, I want to target the people who I always see at the gym lifting with their boyfriends. And I'm like, your boyfriends are teaching you wrong or whatever partner you're with is teaching you wrong. We should probably like revamp this, but make it more accessible because women are not pushed to spend money on resistance training. They are pushed to spend money on other things in health and fitness, but not resistance training. And so I want to encourage women to be able to work on this with kind of a lower barrier to entry and for them to be comfortable and be able to walk into the gym and be like, I know exactly what I'm doing. And if anyone comes up to me and it's like, Hey, can I help you? Or like, Hey, you look lost. They're like, Nope, I got it. I know what I'm doing. Claire's already told mm-hmm. me. And so that's the goal is a uh, lower barrier of entry, both cost wise and they have the knowledge to do what they want to get done it, and get strong. It, it, it kills me when um, like, this is like the social media version, kind of like what you said with the, you're at the gym and somebody walks up to you, which is like weird. That's probably worse. Cause it's in person when it's like, my man, I didn't ask you for none. Like, and, but if it's like anything in terms of someone trying to pass on knowledge, like I see sometimes in the comments, like I'll post for instance, like, Tiffany Chapon, like Turbo Tiff for anyone listening, who was the mm-hmm. best lifter at IPF Worlds. And there are people sliding in the comments being like, she should be doing this. She should be doing, oh, this is wrong. That's wrong. It's like, this is a world champion, two times over, the best lifter at Worlds. Her coach is like Penna, who also won world titles and has like several world champions. Like, they're good. But they're like, no. No, they, they're the good now won't be good in like 20 years. It's like, how do you know this? This is like, it's it, like you said, it's like, my God, man, you pictured that dude at the gym. He would, it would be hell to be around this guy. And if you were kind of like you were saying, if you're relatively new to it and people like that are approaching you and you're like a little, you're unsure at all because you're new. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens when you're new. Yeah. Confidence isn't there because you don't know. So you're like, fuck. I got somebody in my face trying to tell me it's probably wrong. Like, because judging by the comments I'm seeing, it's wrong. And, and you, but you don't have the confidence necessarily to call them out on it. Cause you don't know. So you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, it's a tough situation. Yeah. And I'll even, I advise lifters when they run in this situation to be like, thanks. I have a coach. We're working on something very specific. I don't have mm-hmm. time to explain right now. Have a good day. And that's like, even if you don't have a coach say that. Yeah. Right? yeah, I yeah, tell yeah. people who don't have coaches to say that, like, fine, I don't care. And then I tell my athletes, I'm like, if somebody comes up to you, you can tell them I will talk to them because I will front that and you don't have to deal with it. So, yeah, send them to my Instagram. I could use the traffic, um, let them hop in the <laughs> comments, we'll interact. Yeah. Right? <laughs> exactly. That's actually a good pro. That's further promoing. There's good marketing right there. We're good. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, right. Um, but yeah, for sure. I think it is. And I think it is probably more often, not only, but more often dudes approach approaching women and being like, let me help you. And it's like, Hey, my man, <laughs> you need help. I don't, you're not a coach. Like you don't got to come in here trying to correct. Yeah. <laughs> I, go, I help most people go out of their way to not give other people advice at the gym. Unless you're in imminent danger, leave them <laughs> yeah. alone. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so in terms of the program, would it be like, um, and, and we were kind of talking offline as well about, you know, coaching services now. It is, I mean, it's more and more expensive, but it is more and more 
like you guys are bringing, like you have a master's, um, you know, we're talking earlier about the strength guys. Like I see some of the resumes on some people. So for sure, you got to be paid appropriately. Right. Um, but -hmm. at the same time, you know, and this is the same thing. I think Arian, like, uh, the strength guys were, were trying to work on the same deal. That's why you have the app as well, where it's like, try to help people who might not be going all in on that level who aren't looking for the one-on-one experience in terms of like, look at, I want to make a huge push in powerlifting on the flip side. want to give them content, want to help them out. And this is where, mm-hmm. you know, you could start devising these courses, et cetera, that might be lower in terms of money, but high in terms of value and what they need. And mm-hmm. they don't need to go full on one-on-one coaching type deal. Right. Yeah. It seems to be, or my goal with it is to have the experience of being coached by me without it being so involved. Cause it takes time on the client's end too, to mm. write the check-in email and like put in the critical analysis to be like, all right, this is what I want to work on right now. Cause I can't set that goal for them. They have to set it themselves. But if we can create something similar where people can kind of work through it, and they're guided a little bit more, that might be helpful. So. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, yeah. And that's kind of what you guys are doing as well. Right. Aaron. Yeah. I mean, we have a number of different options. Um, so like, you know, for coaching itself, we have two different options and I've always had like free programs. So if someone can't afford that. Okay. Here's some free programs you can do. Um, then we did the position of power. So that's like one step above the, the free uh, programs. And then also we've been doing a internship for people who want to like learn more about how to become coaches themselves. So you can do the internship and then be able to go off on your own, which we're looking into potentially making that a, um, a class as well that's paid and then be able to uh, get that out to more mm-hmm. people rather than right now we have like only four people in our internships so is very limited for the semester so that way has a lot of different options especially like p- people outside the u.s maybe can't afford the same prices of like paying 200 dollars more uh, 200 or more a month uh, when you go to some of these mm-hmm. other countries and i can just be like hey here's some of my free programs and also i send them a website liftvault.com and i go here's a bunch of free programs on here as well and any of those will get you strong until you make it to the next level. And then maybe you want to invest into a coach. When you started, Claire, did you, how did you start into powerlifting? Did you like find free programming or how did this all happen for you? Yeah. So I started in my master's. I was a gym rat at the time doing like more bodybuilding style training. Actually, my training was absolutely terrible at the time. I was programming for myself and it looked I look back at that and I was like, what was I doing? You should have taken that pen and paper away from me. Um, But it was a good learning experience. And now I get to look back and laugh at it. Uh, But I was in my master's training and one of my friends was like, your numbers are actually reasonably good. Like we should get you into a meet. You should try it. You might have fun. And I was like, all right, I'll have fun. I'll go see if it's fun. I went, I had so much fun and I never look back. So that was how I got into it. And I was just coached by a friend for that. And then mm. I did that for one more meet, just coached by a friend. And then I started working with Barbell Medicine's group programming. So I started with a lower version, easier entry programming to is that, get me started. Is that the April 2018 meet? Is that your first meet? Uh, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like just check because sometimes Open Powerlifting doesn't have all the meets listed on there. So I don't know if that was your first No, no, one. no. They have all mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they have all mine. When you got into yeah. 2018 and you were, hang on one second here. I can also pull this up, Arian. 
I, I I'm I'm turning Arians like my dude who like pulls up the facts while we're talking and whatnot. One twenty two point five squat, seventy kilo bench, and one forty two point five deadlift. Woo wee! Come a long way, Claire. Come a long way. It's been a it's been a journey. <laughs> it's been a journey. When you started in two thousand eighteen. Um, was there someone that you in particular, like looked up to when you got into powerlifting? Like, did you hop online and start investigating people? And no, no? I had no idea that this sport was what it is. <laughs> really? I just, yeah. I went to the meet, had fun. My goal was to win my weight class. And that was my only goal. I think there were two people in my weight class and my only goal was to win my weight class. I did not care about anything else. I, there was one other woman at the meet. I was like, wow, she's so strong. That's so cool. And then other than that, I was just like trying to figure out how meats worked. Mm. Hey, look, yeah. two other people are not a dub's a dub. Did you win? Yeah, you did win. Okay, there I it is. Win. I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so 2018, did you start? Because there was like full on social media with that. Um, like in terms of like, I remember like I was running King of Lifts and whatnot. Did you hop on mm-hmm. afterwards when you got the bug? Did you start investigating and dive into the world of powerlifting yeah. and start being like, what fed is what fed, who was who, and, and that mm-hmm. whole thing. Yeah, I did. So the next meet I did was uh, national championships for USPA. That meet did not go well. I actually uh, bombed out on deadlifts. But I think it was after that meet, I started looking more at f- different federations and different coaches. Um, after that meet, I was like, all right, need to find something new. Need to kind of like change this up, but I'm really still having fun. And that's when I started looking up to women in the sport. And I specifically remember looking up at Kristen Dunsmore and her lifts and be like, man, I want to be that strong one day. Cause even at that time we were still, we were in similar weight classes at that time. Not the same, but similar. Yeah. Yeah. It was close. So, yeah. That would have mm-hmm. been, um, but she win nationals in 2000. I'm trying to think about 2018. She yeah. did one in 2018 in the 72s. Yeah, because she went to mm-hmm. IPF Worlds 2019, but she was injured. But uh, okay, gotcha. So it makes sense. Yeah. Everybody hops online and usually finds the person in their weight class. Like that's kind of like who won, right? Yeah. yeah, who won? Oh wow. Okay, mm-hmm. let's let's follow this journey. Um, and how did you end up working with Barbell Medicine? <laughs> okay, it's really funny actually. Uh, so I was at the gym with the person who is now my boyfriend. And my partner and I were talking and he was like, I was looking for a coach actively and couldn't find anything that I really jived with. And he's like, you should check these guys out. Barbell medicine. They're awesome. And I checked them out, loved their stuff, loved the science kind of backing that they had to all of their information. Uh, My partner and I ended up going to see them at the seminars that they put on. And after that, Jordan was like, you should start coaching. And so he pushed me to start coaching. And just after that, I started, he moved to San Diego and I started training with him. And that's kind of, it was like a very rapid turnaround and very funny that my partner was actually the person who introduced me to them. So. I mean, and you've been there. So what year was 2018 as well? Uh, it would have been 2019. And you've been there ever since. So it looks like it's ever working since. out. Yeah. It's working out pretty good. Yeah. Have you thought about like doing any kind of like branching off eventually down the road or like, how does, cause you, you have like your, like the app you have, is that your own app? Is it the barbell medicine app? And it's, how does all that work? 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So Barbell Medicine has their own app that where we run our training programs, which is awesome. I love it. It's the best app I've ever gotten to train with. The course that I'm making is not separate. It will be under Barbell Medicine. I like working for Barbell Medicine a lot. I don't see myself leaving. Um, the relationship that I get to have with all of the coaches is awesome. I have fantastic mentors in Jordan and Austin and Leah and Tom. Those four people are incredibly influential in my career and I very much enjoy them working with them. And I just, I don't see leaving. Like it's a good company. We have a big reach and I get to have access to changing community in a larger way mm. through that company. So. Yeah. And it is good to have people to rely on to like, lean on and be like, take a look at this. Like even for instance, like I keep leaning on, I know cause I talked to Arian, right. With the strength guys. So I keep using them as an example, but even, um, Taylor Atwood's coach, Jason Tremblay said when he wrote that one program that Taylor did that 838.5, he wrote it and then sent it to a guy in Australia with like two PhDs on load management or something. It was like, can you peer review my work for me, please? Like it, it never stops. Like you should always have people around you that you trust to be like, cause things will pop up. Mm -hmm. And when you, whenever we think like, I got it all figured out, that's when you're going to stop growing. That's when you're going to start losing ground. That's when you're the most vulnerable. Uh, it's mm -hmm. always good to have people around you like a team. Mm -hmm. I agree. I also think coaching is a very emotional thing. Mm. You get to interact with people on a level that is more personal than I think most people expect. Cause Lots of things come out in the gym that are very hard to ch or challenging to deal with and emotional themselves. And that gets returned to the coach who then also is like, okay, we can talk about this a little bit. And if we need to change training around it, that's totally okay. And having other people to be like, Hey, I just had a really hard client email that I would like to discuss with you. Or, Hey, I just had a really hard, client interaction that I need to get some advice on. Mm. I think having that kind of support too is impactful, not just programming support. 100. Yeah. For sure. Like some of the best movies you're going to watch are like sports movies. Like in yeah. terms of like emotions and sports, I get it. It's sports, but sports mean a lot to us. And not just that, like we draw inspiration from it. We draw encouragement from it. It motivates us. It makes, it impacts us. And um, the athletes mm -hmm. within, you're going to have moments. You're going to have like, uh, like there'll be moments when you got to call someone up and talk to them and have like either a motivational speech, a pull them back speech. Cause you're seeing some stuff that's like, not sure we were, that's the way the program should be interpreted. Or like you said, um, it could be like, I, it would be tough for me to have a client that I worked with, and this is going to happen. It's going to happen period. You stay in the game long enough. I had Joey flex on the podcast. I asked him like, cause he's had major people. Like I remember when I first met him in 2016, it was him and John hack, John hack. Now most people enter the game and they're like, John hack was with Joey hat or Joey flex at one point. Yeah. And people don't even remember Cause now he's gone. Sean Noriega at one point was with Joey flex. Sean Noriega at one point was the Joey flex guy. It was him and Joey. Now, He's been gone so long and done his own thing. New people enter and they're like, I didn't even know. And sometimes I'll, I, I remember when it first was happening, I would talk to Joey and be like, is that tough, man? Because 
people will come in and then when people leave, like it's gotta be a little bit tough. Like it's good. Okay. If you're going on your own, doing your own thing. Cool. But when they go and work with a different coach, it's tough, man. And and I know obviously like Joey now has like a cabillion world champion. So he's good, but there's an emotional attachment that like, I don't know, maybe I'm just too emotional. I know I'm an emotional guy. I know I'm that dude, but is that tough when that kind of stuff happens? Yes and no, because I know the client is choosing what is best for them. And I would never want to hold them back and be like, no, you have to stay with me. I'm like, no, please take the path that is best for you. That's going to suit you best. And if that's not me, that's fine. There are a ton of other people who fit really well. And I want a good fit because that means we're going to be able to communicate well. We're going to be able to grow together. And I think those are important. And if that's not happening that's okay to let it go. Find something that fits you. Mm. I don't take offense when clients are like, I'm going to go work with someone else. I'm like, no, do what's best for you. Absolutely. I, I hope you borrow me next meet, but you do you. <laughs> <laughs> You're never going to no. make it. <laughs> no, I, I hand them a piece of candy as they walk out the door and I say goodbye. That's right. Yeah. Actually, I hand them a whole apple pie. That's what there I do. There it is. There it is. We call that a callback. Um, but yeah, no, it's true. I mean, and that's kind of like what Joey said is um, like proof in the pudding. Since I had that conversation with him, new people entered. I, I don't even know if he was working with like Jesus Oliveros at the time or whatever the heck. It's true. When one door closes, another door opens. It's things at the moment, but you have to look at the bigger picture, man. This is all part of it. And kind of like you said, don't force something if it's not there. Yeah. It's also not about me. It's about them finding the perfect fit for them. Uh, like, I have found a great coach. I really enjoy working with my coach and we have a good chemistry as coach and athlete and it works and mm. I'm not going to walk away from that. So I've found yeah. what works for me and I, I want every client to find that. Yeah, it's true. That's a, it's just for someone like me, it's easier said than done <laughs> where I'm like, ah, I'll go back into my office and be like, what could I have done? How about you, Barry? And have you experienced this kind of thing? Like, is it tough or is it kind of like more of the same like Claire was saying? I mean, I, I remember the first time a client uh, fired me and went to like, you know, look for another coach. Or, like, Don't that. use the term it, fired, Arian, please. <laughs> it, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like when you have your, your first breakup in a relationship. That's like that exactly, first one. dude. We're, we're, when you're a grizzled veteran, you're like, whatever. Like, you don't make a break. It, it's, not, it's not so much about like, oh, whatever. Like, it's like not emotionally more, but it's like seeing it from a di different aspect now. It's like same thing. Like with the, the first time someone breaks up with you, you're not seeing it like as rationally. So same thing with the first client. But now you see it more like, like Claire was saying is like, you know, they're trying to find what's best for them as far as a good fit and how they can get stronger. And so why would you hold them back from that? You'd want them to go find someone that fits them and get stronger. Uh, and on the other side, you were kind of hinting towards it, Ryan, as far as like you may still be like second guessing yourself. That's like the other benefit for, for, for the coach. If that athlete goes to another coach and they get way stronger and do better, then maybe that's a way for you to analyze yourself. Like, oh, what was I doing wrong? How did this coach get this lifter stronger that I wasn't able to get? What was the, the factor there and trying to figure it out? And maybe for friends with that coach, like there's people I've sent to Bill McCarthy, then I can ask him like, hey, what did you do so that I can make myself better? Um, or if they have the same progress as with you, as with another coach, then maybe it's good for them to realize that maybe they have to look at themselves. Maybe they weren't putting 100% into the programming. Maybe they were slacking off, not following the game plan on meet day and different things like that. And so 
it's a benefit for both sides to kind of figure out what the issue is and then obviously be better going forward. Two things that I want to talk about off of that. I'll get both you guys' opinion on it, but that this, that this sparks this to me. So a, yeah, both you guys saying like detach emotion. Um, I saw, I heard frick, I forget who it was on social media talking about it, but essentially your haters to a certain point are your best, also your best consultants where if you can detach emotion, I don't mean trolls that are being like, like trying to hurt your feelings, not those guys, but I mean, people who criticize to an extent, if the credit, sometimes the criticism is valid and you're like, okay, don't like how it came off. Nah, like, especially if it was rude, but you might also sit back and be like, if I detach all emotion from it, is there at all any truth to this? And they fuck. Sometimes there is. And you're like, whoa. And I remember a guy. So this, this guy was asked that being like, you have a lot of people all over you, a lot of haters on you, a lot of whatever. And he's like, sometimes they are my best consultants. When I put out some work, when I put out some, whatever it is, content or whatever it is he's putting out, they'll let you know. And he's like, some of them you fluff off. Some of them you got to think about and think hard. Do you have an emotional response to that? Now, why is that? That hit a nerve. Just if you could detach emotion and just take it as data, not the worst thing in the world. Um, and the other one, what you were saying, Arian, about like um, analyzing if they got stronger and maybe also yourself, you know, getting better yourself and like adding to it from it and, and whatnot. I think that was my second point. Shit. Now I think I got <laughs> I got lost in the sauce trying to work on the first one, but uh, uh, yeah, anyways, it left me, but yeah, it is true though. If you can detach emotion from it, it is a huge benefit in terms of like, you know, seeing somebody leave and like, why was it then? And how can I keep improving and, and following up in terms of that? Um, because it'll, it'll happen. Other people will leave their current coaches and come to you. And that's, it's when you guys do get somebody new, do you often find yourselves are, is like one of the pathways to be like, let me see what you're doing and what works for you now. And like, how do you start off with a new client or is it just start off on this template and we'll work from there? Cause sometimes you have no data and you're like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what's going to work. Like it, it'll be different if it's a veteran or not a veteran. Like, what do you, what do if you, I don't have any information. Yeah. I start. Okay. First, I start by trying to match volume. That's usually my most important metric that I'm like, all right, let's not either way underload you for volume or way overload you. And I will work you down to where I think is appropriate or up to where I think is appropriate for what is going to help you continue to make strength gains. If it's sometimes I look at programs that I'm like, well, this is absolute shit. So I'm <laughs> like some of the, some of the programs clients come to me, they're like, I found this on the internet and I'm like, all right, let me see it. And they show it to me and I'm like, man, this is terrible. Okay. We're going to start completely from scratch. And then I have like a base template and I'm trying, I'm still trying to match volume best I can. And I will make adjustments to what they like first. And I'll always start with what they like because I want them to like the initial program and feel excited about it because I think that is important to getting them to try it for two months or three months where we can actually start to see some of that adaptation happen. You just brought me back to the piece that I left my head. Thank you, Claire. Okay. <laughs> that was all okay Glad I could help. So, yeah, thank you. so this <laughs> that's all I'm actually, here for actually right, thank you this this is actually uh this exact point was sometimes it is the buy-in 
Um, sometimes it's totally, and this is another thing we could detach emotion. If the buy-in isn't there on the, on the part of the athlete, it's not you. It's not the program. Somebody else could deliver it in however the shit they deliver it with whatever verbiage or whatever, whatever it is. It's just how they gave them the program. The program could be the exact same. Sometimes just the buy-in. If someone doesn't buy in, it's, it does, it's a lot harder. Uh, Shane Hunt was actually on the last um, podcast and he's like, for me personally, Aaron, you remember, he was like, I'll talk to some clients. Not everyone's the same. But if you give me a five by five, and you make me do like five by fives or, or just four by eights, roughly the same. He's like, it is so monotonous. I have no uh, motivation to go into the gym every day like that. However, if you make it that the weight of the bar escalates to my top set, it could still be five by five, but each set of five is escalating heavier bar to the top set. His like stimulation towards it is like, I'm high. I'm in there. I'm working towards that top set. I maybe have a goal in mind. I hit it. And then I could do back off work and it's job well done, whatever. It's easier for him. Sometimes though, you got to like talk to people like, you know, kind of like you said about like buy in. What, do you, what What is fun? What are you actually going to do? I could give you what I think is the best thing for you to do. But if you hate it, we're not going to get very far. <laughs> you know, It's going to be hell. Uh, but yeah. That that is true. What do you it's, think, Arian? I was gonna say it's almost like um those studies they've done where they told people they were giving them steroids, but it's actually nothing, and they actually got stronger thinking they're taking steroids. So if you're giving someone a program and you're like, oh man, this is what Taylor does, this is what Leah does, or this is what Russ does, like this is how they became a world champion, and this and that, then they're like, oh man, this is actually gonna work. And so yeah, that buying might actually help them more. Um, but as far as when someone starts up with us, it, it's similar to what Claire says, trying to get as much information about either their most recent training or like maybe their best training. It's like, what kind of frequency were you doing? Were you doing variations? Were you doing the competition lifts? How many uh, sessions per week? How much time per session? Those kind of things and trying to build off of that. Um, if they don't have anything, then it's maybe uh, just defaulting to what's a kind of frequency they've been able to handle and then starting more conservative. Uh, rather start easier and then be able to tell them like, hey, you're doing a great job, let's up the weights than to like start too much and then they're just beat up and you have to like pull everything back and they feel like they're already like failing at the beginning. Um, Yeah, 100%. Especially like, okay, first off, when you're talking about this is what Taylor does, dog, I did that one Taylor Atwood program and it was, it was <laughs> like, yeah, you <laughs> Listen, you got to be ready for that kind of sauce. That was tough. That was very, very difficult. Um, but yeah, here's another thing is another thing that's probably like a challenge is people coming and being like, okay, I got a competition in like two months. And you're like, well, uh, like, you know, I don't know, like we could do what you've already done and try to tweak things, but that's pretty difficult to me to give you like, I don't know what works for you yet. And some people are like that. They have expectations of like coming to you. Do you have that clear sometimes or expectations are difficult for new people yes. or right. Yes. And I clearly set them when they come to me and they're like, this is what I want. I'm like, that's not possible. Mm. That's not how I say it. I'm like, that is unlikely. Okay. You should <laughs> yeah, consider yeah. multiple options about how this might go. I think the shortest time I've ever been given was three weeks. Oh my God. And I was like, um, all right. So we're going to train into this meet. <laughs> we're not going to peak for it. And it was great. It actually worked out well. Um, and that happens sometimes. And I think a good coach would be able to say, Hey, 
let's set expectations and they're going to be able to help the client create a good environment for the best success that they can and be able to moderate uh, both good and bad that are going to happen in the next however short amount of time until the meet. Like three weeks. Holy shit. You're almost like, I don't know anything about you. I don't know what works for you. I haven't tried. And it's almost like you're, when you take somebody, you're almost like, it's like a science experiment where you're like, well, let's add this. Did that work? Okay. That didn't work as well as I want. It takes time. Mm -hmm. That's what people just think. Like, give me your good stuff. Well, it's good for this person and that person, but it might not be good for you. Yeah. That's also my argument against people training, like the, the top, the top of the top, right? Mm. Like people taking Sam Calhoun's training and being like, Oh, I'm just going to run Sam's program. Mm. I don't know if Sam has it available, but if someone was to do that, Sam is a genetic freak. (laughs) She's so good at what she does. And so what works for her is almost definitely not going to work for everybody else. Yeah. And so I think it can be really challenging. uh, Yeah. And that's the word challenging. Like I, like I said, I did Taylor Atwood's program. It was challenging. It was uh, like, I didn't make it, I didn't make it to the competition. So that was like, it was very, very difficult. I mean, you gotta, yeah, you gotta be, these are freaks. These are freak one percenters that walking the world when you take their programming and, and who knows what they did mm-hmm. leading up to that years leading up to that, like a little bit more intensity, a little bit more mm-hmm. volume over time. And then they jump into that. Um, yeah, it's the big thing is you want to be like, I'm tough. Let me show you how bad I want it. It doesn't always come down to that though. Your body doesn't necessarily care your heart. Maybe they can't break your heart. Your heart is willing, but if your body, your nervous systems hasn't been geared up to that yet, it's going to jump in there and be like, give it to me. Watch me show up. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to think about, I like, this is a very mechanistic idea but I'd like to think about people as rocket ships. And every time you train, you, you work on, you're working on your rocket ship and you're like, I'm adding a little new adaptation or a little new button to my big, uh, I don't want to say data pad, but like control center. Right. (laughs) And so every time you train, you're adding little buttons to your control center. And over time you have a bunch of buttons that you can work with and they make your rocket ship go super, super fast. And then when you stop training for a little bit or you haven't been training for as long, some of those little buttons stop working and you have to go back under and tinker again and make sure they're working before you can go super fast again. And so I know my rocket ship analogy is kind of silly, but this is how I inform (laughs) clients that like, you can't just jump into things without tinkering on your rocket ship first. Right. So, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's probably one of the biggest is like almost everybody has these expectations that are not realistic. What is that? There's a a famous quote that says most people overestimate what could they can achieve um, in the long term, but under wait, most people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10. Thank you. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. And and, and you could apply that. Like, so the long-term short-term essentially. Right. And it's true. It's like um, a little consistency over time of like 10 years, that's how you get this. Like, how can I get from here to here? Um, but uh, some people want to make massive jumps, you know, like in, in it's consistency is so much more important than like intensity. Like I want to go all in where it's like, listen, just, you know, it takes time sometimes. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, that's probably the most difficult. 
how often or how long do you think people can turn that dial on for? I'm always curious to hear what people think. Like leading up to a meet, how many weeks out are you like, all right, it's go time? Well, that's interesting. And it depends on the person, but you know, I've yes. taught because some people I am when I lift the difference between like, I'm an excitable guy. All right. Like when I talk, like when I go to like, no way. I had no idea. <laughs> this is, this is a shocking. Um, but like when I go to like competitions for just like commentary, I go back into the hotel room and I like lay in bed and like stare in the ceiling. and can't sleep. Cause I'm like wound up and, um, <laughs> like in conversations or whatever, like I'm not like on because we're on the podcast. Like I'm actually like this. Right. So the difference between me keeping cool and hitting power, like lifting or me, I throw on a song pace a little bit and get in. Like I can shift far more weight on the flip side. Um, not everyone might be like that and keeping intensity in terms of like, like you said, how far out do you want to really rev that engine? Certain people, um, they could, burnout intensity wise or emotionally, or by the time they're three weeks out, they're like, I feel like I've already peaked. I am running on fumes. I'm emotionally exhausted mentally. It's, it's weird. It's, um, you know, that's where it's, it's difficult. I think we're all a stitch different. And that's why it's really tough. If someone comes to you with not enough time, be like, I don't know you on an emotional level. Or what kind of person are you? You know, how's your body adapt? That's a tough question. You know, it's a, it really is like personalized probably. Right. I think it's personalized, but I think there's an average and I'm always, yeah, you're right. See like you're right. what, what do you think the average would be if we were to measure it? Like for peaking, just mm-hmm. the peaking. Like period. how far out do you think most people are able to turn the dial and keep it on all the way up to the meat? Oh, fuck. Um, let's say. The last three weeks are the most intense. Six weeks out, the dial has been turned up, but not like the last three. That's fair. That fit what he Do you do you have like research on it stats or was no? It... Okay, I cool. I was gonna say, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just put you on the spot. <laughs> you, I, was, I thought you're like. Well, here's the answer, Ryan. Here's <laughs> why you're wrong. <laughs> you are way off. It's three years out. You should be no. <laughs> what I think. What do wait, you think? I want to hear what Arian has. To yeah, say. yeah, yeah. Let's hear what Arian says. I mean, your your question was kind of vague. I don't know what you mean by like what exactly you mean oh, by like turning true. turning on the the dial. I'll just say four Arian's weeks. buying time. Arian's buying time right now. He doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to be nailed <laughs> down with this answer. I think it's somewhere between four to eight weeks where people can be like, it is meat time. Mm-hmm. And they're like really amped for every training session. I think most people, it's about six weeks. And then there are some people who can last a little bit longer. And some people who are like, nope, that's too long. Uh, right. I just think maintaining that like mental intensity because it it seeps into your your life too is really challenging. And so I'm like six weeks out, that's when we really start to be like, all right, everything needs to be on point. Like we should have been practicing commands and stuff before that but i need everything to be as good as possible these last six weeks and that intensity needs to be there yeah but i don't think people can maintain that for much longer than six weeks i agree i've done 
I've done like stupid, like I'm going to start like 16 weeks out. And if I can maintain, but I, you like, that ain't going to happen. There is like, like four months. Wor- yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, you I like people like- that think about it in terms of months instead of weeks. 16 well, weeks doesn't sound that long. Four yeah, months. That's yeah. Like when you time. say it like that, it's like, bro, that's all of winter or all of summer or whatever. <laughs> like, what are you trying to do right now? But um, yeah, there is like definitely a, an enthusiasm that you can maintain. Like, also, there is like a burnout. Like I remember, for instance, um, when I was in university. So I went for a, a bachelor of commerce, like a, a major in marketing. So different than you guys. But um, I remember I had like math was difficult for me. I'm more on the creative side, and I'm it's university math, and I'm in like with a tutor every freaking night. I had a tutor, and this kid's math, uh, like he's going to his major is math. And so his secondary is all the other things. So we're like opposites. My major's marketing and, and, you know, I have to take economics and stats, but it's not my forte. And I did so much freaking math leading into this one exam. When I slept, I would literally dream. And in my dream, I saw math equations when I looked at walls and shit. And I remember like, this looked like the matrix. It was so in my head. It was too intense. And I remember waking up being like, this is fucking the intensity is getting, it's getting a mentally, you know, it's emotional and mentally too much. You get burnt. And then I had the same experience a couple of times, not quite that intense, but when you dream and you're dreaming about the nationals or you're dreaming about whatever competition it is. And you're like, how, like you said, to your point, how far out do you want to turn on this intensity where it's all encompassing and you're, mm-hmm. Your day to day, you're thinking about you're at work and like fucking I got school tonight, you know. And you're like you're already there. Like you can't do that too long. Otherwise, literally, people are gonna burn out and be like, I can't, I can compete twice a year, you know, or whatever. It's tough. Yeah, it is tough. And I think picking the meets you do it for is also important. You don't need to do it for your local meets most of the time. If you're competing at the national level, you don't need to be doing it for local meets. How do you feel about like weight cutting? This is a thing. And this is like, when you have a client and they're like, I want to weight cut. What do you mm. think about all? I advise most clients not to weight cut. I want them to compete at their living weight. My argument is that once you are vying for position on the podium at a national meet, or there's money on the line, then we can start considering weight cuts because the social and emotional cost of cutting weight is greater than the cost of having fun at the powerlifting meet. And here's the thing. And too, I don't want to sorry, go contribute ahead. to like making people as small as possible. I actually don't care what size you are. I just want you to lift as much weight as possible. That's what I care about. I've had a s- experience too, where um, like prep is awesome. Everything's great. And if the mm-hmm. weight cut doesn't go off great, it can like that last week of water loading, cutting, whatever, can completely kibosh an amazing prep. And you're like mm-hmm. three competitions in and it's like, you're already, you know, destroying your experiences. Like, man, just if you have a good time, your first few, you're probably not even competitive unless you're like a total genetic freak. You're probably not that mm-hmm. competitive anyways. Just go in there, get the commands, get the flow of it. Learn about like the way in process and, you know, equipment check and everything you're you don't know any, you're probably tucking your socks into your sleeves and getting told by the TC, get your socks out of your sleeves. Like little things were like, there's things like that. You should more worry about just get everything down as opposed to 
um, I'm going to cut weight to be, to be what? Like you're not competitive either way you slice it. Just do your thing. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't like to frame it as you're not competitive either way. I just like, is it, (laughs) is the amount of time that you're spending worth it? Like time, energy, money worth it for a one point better placing in a lower weight class? Probably not. Like I want you. And I also think being able to be with friends and eat the food that you enjoy while you're going into a prep is more valuable than the loneliness that occurs when you're cutting weight hard because you can't eat out with other people. Uh, and you're probably, I know I am cranky as shit. Like the social emotional connection you have with human beings is way more powerful than cutting your weight for most individuals. That's also true. Um, like you're, yeah, it's not worth going through that unless it's, especially at a local level. Like you're not vying for like, like, like you're going to be, we'll get into this in a sec. You're going to be vying for a national team, going to a world championships, representing your nation. Got you. So you'll, you're going to do some sacrifices to like, these are major dreams, big goals that like one percenters talk about one percenters talk about representing your nation at the world championships, but for a local meet where it's like you said, you understand how much you're going to miss out. Um, and the sacrifice is going to take and the difference it's going to make to you isn't like you think it's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like a life-changing, altering thing. So yeah, and some people might not know. And it is true. I've cut weight through like Thanksgivings and birthdays and all the rest of it. And you're like, it isn't. And then the water loading and that whole process, and it'll change the way you feel about the competition. It's It's hard and it is isolating. And I don't think people realize that. Like when I cut weight, I literally live in my apartment and I do not leave for six weeks. Like I go mm. and I walk around my neighborhood. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. And if you've never sat at a dinner table, like at a restaurant with people, everyone is eating and you're like, can't, I'm cutting weight. And, Cause you ate dinner beforehand. Cause you had to eat what you have. It's terrible. And I, I don't think people recognize what that cost is i've like yeah or bringing a food scale to freaking thanksgiving dinner and people are like what are you doing dog are you weighing your mashed potatoes I'm like, listen man <laughs> you weighing your mashed potatoes made with butter yeah 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 i gotta do what i gotta do um how about you arian how you feel about it sir yeah i mean it's um it's one thing when you're talking about like people trying to qualify for nationals a certain weight class or winning nationals or going to worlds or whatever like that like you have to figure out where you're going to be competitive and sometimes it even means going up like i had my lifter tim mercer's compete at masters worlds and he was gonna have a better chance of getting podium on the 120s than the 105 so we actually stopped his weight cut and he weighed in at 110 and compete in the 120s um, because that's where it was easier for him so sometimes it goes the, the other way um, but for the lifters who are like never going to make it to a national, let's say they only do local level competitions. It's not so much uh, like Claire was saying, not so much like, oh, you're never going to be competitive because they might be competing against themselves and have their own goals that they want to hit. Maybe they want to go for a state record or maybe they just want to, you know, hit a certain weight in a certain weight class. It's about the what she said as far as is it worth it to them. So it's like, OK, you want to be this weight class. You either have to do it two ways. You have to be in a caloric deficit for this number of weeks, cutting this much calories. Are you willing to do that? Or you have to do the water cut and be able to go through the whole process of water loading and gut manipulation, everything like that. So some people are willing to do that and get close enough where it's not that terrible. Okay, you're cutting two or three pounds. You're not cutting 10 pounds. 
um, then maybe it's worth it for them and have some lifters that do that because they just have certain goals for themselves, even though they're never going to be a high level lifter. Um, but yeah, if you're going to be, you know, 10 pounds over and try and, you know, cut 5% of your body weight for a little competition, then you may have to look into either, you know, year round getting your body weight down or maybe moving up. And I always like to use the examples of like the lifters that have moved up and how well it's moved for them. Like Bryce Lewis is one of those guys who went from 93s to 105s and became a world champion. More recently, we've seen like Ashton and Bob Matthews and these guys go up um, and how well it's Kristen done Dunsmore for them. Kristen so- did that. Yeah, Kristen yeah. Dunsmore, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, Noemi Alibert went 47s, 52s as well. So, like, those are all good examples yeah. to show them. Like, it's not always about, like, trying to cut weight and be more competitive in lower weight class because everyone thinks they can maintain or total and drop an entire weight class. And that's not what actually usually happens in real life. Um, but sometimes going up a weight class and filling out your body will actually shoot your total up much higher. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of, like, nationals and whatnot, your most recent competition um, in the 69-kilo class hit that 522.5 and for anyone listening so the qualifications it's a little bit convoluted because we have sheffield and us obviously like a powerhouse nation in terms of powerlifting and the national champions world champion so people going into sheffield and people going into the nationals and you need what they call a carpino one which is last three years right arian where they look at the total that won the world championships last three years and then based off of that average they say this is carpino one if you could hit this and win nationals you're the number one selection to go to the world championships now that's tough if um people are paying attention to like what wins the worlds it's freaking big numbers so everyone's looking at these and some people looking at it like, wow, those are freaking high. And some of them are freaking high. You hit, you were, you first off announced, okay, I'm going the IPF route and we'll talk about your goals and, and what led into that decision, but also making your debut under PA and you hit that Carpino one, 522.5 for the 69 kilo class. So now everybody knows, all right. Cause that's the question. Everybody's that's a big number. You know, that's big. Um, so everyone's like, just like, I think five thirty-five, one world. So we're right. You know, we're a little over 10 kilo there. So we're getting real close. And obviously like, uh, you know, there, there's a look ahead. So a, um, what went into the decision to go the IPF route? And then B mm-hmm. was that the goal? Like, let me get this. Was, is that just total coincidence? You hit that Carpino one or were you like, let me test this out. Let me see if that's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the decision to go IPF, I waited after the split because I was like, I want to see, like, I was not convinced that it was one, going to get off the ground fast enough. I just didn't know. I'd never seen a split in powerlifting before like this, and I know it has happened, but I was like, I'm going to hold my cards close to my chest. I'm going to wait and see what happens. And the idea of world competition really excites me. And when I saw the totals for the U S team that they sent, I was like, man, I'm totally more than that right now. I should switch. And I totaled more than that at a higher weight class, fully knowing I did not cut for my higher weight class. I just walked in at my living weight and was like, cool, I'm going to do this. Cause I was having some large life changes at the time. I was like, I can do this at 69 kilos, no doubt. And so I moved over and, did it and it uh I went into that meet that was not my best meet or my best prep I went into that meet 
hoping for a higher total actually oh i had a different number in mind yeah and just didn't wasn't there day of the meet some things just didn't come together the way i wanted them to at the end so so it was almost coincidence because i thought the 522.5 was like I was like, is that a question? No, it wasn't right on the money the same. No kidding. Well, at least it didn't yeah. dip below that. Cause then you'd be like, oh, yeah, shit. you got that in your back pocket anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jordan knew what the Carpino one total was going into the meet. And okay. he was, he knew I handle literally nothing when the meet starts. Once the meet starts, my headphones go in and Jordan like kind of like does this to get me. He like, uh, no one can see my hands. So he uh, shepherds well, me around. Some people will. Some people will <laughs> in Spotify, but yeah. She so just like kind of like shepherds me around while I like stare angrily at walls. So um, kind of intense. So I'm in charge of nothing. He's in charge of all of it. And mm. so he knew what we needed to do in order to get that total. And he made it happen. So, so you and that like- happened to be the national standard that I wanted to hit. So you guys, basically, you probably had different scenarios worked out. Like, all right, we're going to get this national standard. And if it's a good day, mm-hmm. you'll push for, you know, what was the number? More. Do you mind saying what the, what the number was you wanted? The number I wanted was 535. The number Woo-hoo! we thought was feasible was probably closer to 530. Okay. So, uh, had, had, so my deadlift prep did not go well. I had back pain for the whole six weeks leading into the meet. This is an injury that I've had before. And so it popped up again a little bit and we had to make some changes in training to moderate or to modulate kind of how that was going. Ended up the fact that I pulled 210, which is seven kilos under my best with like wicked back pain coming into this meet, I think is a huge success. So had that not been going the way it was, we were expecting to pull 220, 222. So that would have been right there. Would have been right there. So and bench, we wanted to take 125, and it just wasn't there the day of the meet. So now, d- so did you watch the IPF World Championships? I did. Okay. I was sitting <laughs> at nationals watching it. Is that right? Um, so was this like when you're watching this? Is, is that where the 535 came from? Because that one, that, that one world. I knew that I knew that Chandler had hit 535. Um, and it, it just kind of happened to be like what I thought my best numbers could be. Like 190 was exactly what I expected. I knew 190 was there. That's what I was expecting. Squats went, I had a great squat prep. And so I knew from that kind of like what I needed to get. And deadlift was trending really well at first. And then it just tanked. So, mm, Which can happen. It is what it is. It happens. Right. I'd rather it happen at that meet than nationals or worlds. So 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so watching that and also like Marta Jenner, um, she's so you, you're so strong. She's a monster too. Right. It's, it's she's a monster. It's a, yeah, she's a monster. It, um, so looking at the 69 kilo class, so Marta Jenner previously had hit, uh, 542.5, but then at world's hit 532, it came down. Did girl power. Um, hit 535. Not a huge mm-hmm. jump, still below what she had done previously. We still got Euros. Um, and then obviously Leah Babwa, I had her on the podcast. She said she's going to do Sheffield as a 69 kilo, which is not a surprise because the 69 kilo world record is lower than the 63. Sheffield's based off of world records. She doesn't have to cut. 
totally makes yeah. sense. Like, like mm-hmm. for sure makes sense. Right. I, I don't remember if I asked her, um, is she cutting back down 63, but I anticipate she'll come back down to 63 after Sheffield. Cause she's not going to full commit to, okay. She's going to weigh 69 kilo. So I think she's going back down. So I, think- I hope she does. Yeah, that would be terrible. <laughs> Please go back down. Go yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. You're too You're strong. Like, I second that opinion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I would love to lift against her. That would be incredible and like true. The the meat of a lifetime. Um, but go away. <laughs> yeah, she's she's yeah she's phenomenal. Um, so have you do you, do you watch like the the competitors like um like Marta Jen or Chandler Babb and you're paying attention to who might be showing up at Euros, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm watching. Uh, I also know the only lift that matters is the the lifts we do at Worlds. Mm. And I had a bad meet, this meet. I know they're watching that. And the only lift that matters is the lift at Worlds. And also, I have to get there first. Like, I have not qualified. That, well, that's <laughs> true. very honest. That's true. Well, um, it is true. There because... are some good Americans, too, that I still have to beat in PA. Right. Right. So, um, and you never know who crosses over, which is like they have to do a meet before the PA Nats, yeah. but there's time. People do them last minute because they're trying to mm-hmm. be, you know, they want not be sneaky, sneaky. but well, uh, <laughs> it is sneaky, but it's also it's like sneaky. some some people don't want too much limelight or whatever the pressures. Um, but yeah, you're right. PA Nats can be battles. We've seen battles pop up and happen, so we'll see what mm-hmm. happens. Um, yeah, but. It is right there, and you have a lot of time before Worlds. And if there's any kind of, you know, Chandler Babb, who is the two-time world champion now in the 69-kilo class, she almost is like an inspiration. Going into uh, 2021 in Sweden Worlds, she had Anna Rosa Castellane, multiple-time world champion. She had Kimberly Walford, who at the time was the undefeated world champion, never lost at the world stage. Um, She had, like, all of these competitors in 69-kilo class that, like, giants in the game dwarfed her she was not the number one nomination she wins the world championships beating literal goats of powerlifting and then coming mm-hmm. into 2022 where she's like the rocky story right that's like my favorite movie so i use that analogy a lot but she's she going into 2022 worlds again uh marta Jen- jenner from norway 542.5 and like you said it's all about what happens on that day 542.5 mm-hmm. is bigger than chandler had ever hit Chandler was Mm -hmm. the defending world champion, but not the number one nomination. Head down, Mm -hmm. get your work done, wins the world title with 535. It is all about what happens on that day. Everything else be damned, you know? Yeah. I I try and focus not on worlds yet. I have to get there first. I'm trying to be very careful because I do not want to discount the fact that Chelsea Sabat is very strong and Kristen Dunsmore can be very strong when she's on. I know she's had a lot of challenges with her, with her glute and I would Mm -hmm. love to compete against both of them and fight for a national title. Like the last time I competed with Chandler, Chris, Gabby Martinez and myself all tied for second behind Chandler. And it was so much fun pulling for second. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh... granted. I also, that was the first year that Chandler was a U.S. APL athlete and I want to get her back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> coming well, for her are, specifically. Like, it's the we... sorry. Go I ahead. mean it with the utmost respect. Like yeah, I'm coming yeah. for you, Chandler, but I mean it with the utmost respect and well, awe in what you've done. 
sporting wise for sure yeah i mean this is like it's kind of like you were saying with like leah it's an honor to like go against somebody when people ask like when you look back in time you want to be the when they're like well who did you ever compete against you're like well two-time world champion chandler bab who was like the ultimate underdog and like we that's who i went against to take the title from not just like some randoms or whatever right like it, it means something it's just an honor to compete with women who make me put on my best show mm. right like you have to go nine for nine and you have to make those attempt selections really well. You have to know what you have in the bag and you have to be able to call. You have to be able to make tough calls. Yeah. Um, and that's and, what makes the sport so much fun. Oh, when there's a frig, when there's like a showdown and it's tight. Um, well, first off, let me say, yes, 100%. There are like Chris and Dunsmore. I wasn't sure if she's going to show up at PA Nats. I'm not, a, you know, who knows what know. happens from here yeah. to now, but her last, she recently posted, I meant to repost, I hadn't yet, but she recently posted a deadlift session that went well. That's encouraging. Mm -hmm. I know we all know like at Worlds, she qualified for Worlds, won PE Nats in a big battle. And then when Worlds came injured, she went, had fun, had the experience. You earned the right. She didn't take anyone's spot because Chelsea also went. So good. Injury popped up again. And um, so that's tentative, but... Chelsea, to your point, Chelsea's a battler and phenomenal. And yes, it's no given that that you take PA yeah. that. So no disrespect to any of those lifters. I, I do want to say that. Um, but uh, there's nothing quite like when you're at the Worlds and like it's a freaking battle and you're like, I don't know who's going to win. Everybody is so clustered, so close. And I'm it's so like, excited. oh, wow. And I'm uh, so excited. yeah, it'll, it would be crazy. And it's um, obviously it'd be Malta. So, which is beautiful. If you ever done any research and looked at it, holy smokes, is Malta beautiful? So, I am not gonna lie, I had to look up where it was at first. Hey, well, hey, it's not a massive nation, you would have no reason to have been there unless it's vacation, and you probably don't know anyone mm -hmm. from there, or like, yeah, it's a total vacation spot. But historically speaking, like, I'm a history dude, so I love to like go see old monuments and old, like, you know, any kind of buildings. Like, look, we're in North America, I tell these people from Europe all the time. You guys have like castles in the middle of your cities that are like thousands of years old. If we have a building that's 150 years old, we think it's so crazy. And we probably have a ghost story for it. And it's it's ridiculous. Right? What is the coolest thing that we should go see in Malta? Damn, Arian, pull something. I don't know yet. <laughs> you said you're a history buff. You can't oh, say no. that and well, then no. not say that something. He, he, <laughs> he, he just meant, he meant in general, like there going go. to worlds and going to... Finland and Sweden. This is and why Arian. This is why Arian's here. See how quickly he's like, "Let me help my man's out. My man's, my man's in trouble." <laughs> general terms. General terms. Okay. But I am here's, game. here's the deal. By nationals, you have to have an answer for me. I'll have a whole itinerary. <laughs> we'll have great all, deal. All the itinerary um, worked out for us. But uh, yeah, 100. I seen like I think it was actually Bill McCarthy who posted up. Um, here's where Worlds is going to be, and he's like, "Here's some spots." But I'd have to double back now. But mm. yeah, but the uh, number one, yeah. the number one thing it just says is they called the old capital Medina, and then I guess there's just like you know, like like Ryan said, just like the old structures and everything like that that you can go see and walk through and everything like that. Um, another one of the things that says to go see the war rooms that are 45 meters below ground. Is it because Malta? Um, and how close it is, like it was part of the Roman Empire. And when you say the old capital, was it one of the, I don't know. Let me not, I'm going to have 
people in my DMs. Let me not throw out <laughs> history unless I know, because this happens to me all the time, man. I've been on the air for the IPF World live stream. My freaking one of the producers on the show, like he's literally a TV producer working for Viva TV, did not realize my man went to school for geography. And I'm throwing out things out there and he's sliding me notes to be like, no, that is not actually how close this is to that or whatever the hell. That is not correct, sir. Yeah, that is not correct, sir. I'm like, okay, I'm getting fact checked live on the end. Let me watch myself (laughs) and stick to powerlifting. But but anyways, um, but yeah, I totally get it why the allure and there's there's battles there. Looking at the world championships, there's a rivalry forming. Uh, between Team USA also and Team France. And when you announced, and, and this is, I love it, in the men's side, it's not there. In the women's side, like for a little, for, for not even a little while, for a long while, we didn't have a lot of national team rivalries, period. Mm-hmm. US was so dominant in the classic division. Now in the women's, the rise of Team France has really sparked a layer to this. So individually, mm-hmm. we have battles. But I love the fact that we have like that layer of a team rivalry between U.S. and France. And I'm telling you, when you said you're going um, PA Nats, there was a lot of people in the DMs being like, oh, shit. You know what that's going to mean? Like, this is a shooter. You know, France got shooters. And like, oh, like people are coming. Pe- yeah. This is, you know. Um, have you paid attention to that? Is that something that you look forward to be like, I want to add yes. team points. I want to, you know, it's yes. something there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I'm very excited to see what Marta can do. And I know she's not part of team France, but I'm thinking about placing right. both for medals, like overall and for each lift. And she's super strong and I would love to be able to, to go head to head with her and Chandler as well. I'm unclear. I have not seen a lot from Chandler recently. So I just don't know what she's up to. It's um like, to your point, here's a good thing about like the way the points are, are laid up. You mm-hmm. get it first, you get 12 points. You get in second, you get nine points. That swing, even though there's nobody from team France off the top of our heads, who knows the nominations by the time it rolls around, right? France seems to be thick in every single division, but even if there is or not, you know, the team points you collect in the overall picture are going to us Mm -hmm. because France is picking them up in different divisions. You know, every placing you get up is another point you can add. And if you win it, it's three more points. So, you know, like the Americans watching when we do our fantasy pool that we have every year for worlds. And one of the, one of the questions is like, who's going to win? It is like, man, a lot of Americans will be like, we need Claire to take this. We need Claire to win. And that's where it becomes like, um, I like the layer of it because it brings back that not just are your fans and supporters that know you directly going to be cheering for you, but full on just people who are American and be like, we need this win. This could be Mm -hmm. a swing vote. This is like a swing vote for us. If Claire wins her division. Oh shit. That's, that's three extra points. So yeah, that's 12 points. There's a three point jump. Or if Claire comes in silver, be like, okay, well, it's nine points. It's still points. It's like, okay, all right. So, you know, you take what you, it's, it's that competitive. Points are points at some level. <laughs> points are points, no matter what you want 12, yeah. but you'll take nine. You'll take eight. As long as, I mean, even if you come in yeah. fifth, you're getting points, but it's um, yeah. Yeah. There's something there in terms of that rivalry. Um, and what do you think's going on in France? How is team France rising so quickly like this? Like, holy smokes. <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea. It is no idea. 
Yeah, it is. I was going to make some funny joke about food, but I couldn't come up with a French cuisine fast enough for it to be funny. Uh, then it would just sound silly. So, you know, what? I, I legit had a conversation with somebody and they said fries and I'm like, you mean French fries? And they're like, and they go, they go, they're not French. They go, they go, we just say fries. And I'm like, oh yeah, fair enough. But are they, I was like, well, I guess so. That makes sense. But, uh, cause if you're in Canada, you don't say Canadian fries. Um, or we don't say Canadian bacon, we just say fucking bacon. But uh, are they not French? Is a French fries? Not French, French fries aren't French. No, they don't arise from France. Is that right? Where do they come from? Arian, help us out. It says deep fried potatoes of dis- disputed origin from Belgium and France. So okay. there's, I guess, a variation of deep fried potatoes that Americans have now turned into French fries. Just like our there's Chinese a, food in America is not like what Chinese people actually eat at home. There's that's a gastropod sure. episode. It's a podcast about food, about French fries. And that's why I know that fact. And it's Belgium and, and ah, France. That's correct. Yeah, They're mad close. But that's why I thought they weren't French. Uh, I, yeah. yeah, wow. But it's I don't a, think it's French fries making the French so strong. Or well, fries. It's a theory. It's a theory. Um, I'll but ask yeah. when we go in my very limited French. It'll be, uh, have you, are you watching things like, here's what I do like about um, what they're doing in France too, is they're like cultivating this. They have that girl power competition, which had like, they have that checks, so they cool. bring, they fly. Yeah. And they like fly in like, like obviously Heather Connor, Jessica Bittner and people from all over Europe, but North Americans as well. And stuff yeah. like that would be cool to see you in the mix of that as well. I would, I saw that happening. What was that? That was a week after my competition. I was like, that's so cool. I want to do that. I want to go lift with a bunch of super strong women. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a really cool meet to watch. Um, I was doing something that weekend, so I couldn't like watch it online. But just like seeing what happened afterward was incredible. Oh, who was the other 69 kilo lifter? No, she's 63 from the Netherlands. From the Iris? Netherlands? Yes. I'm sorry? Thank you. Iris Schulten. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Her lifts are amazing, too. She's moved up to 69. She was a 63, and she's not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Great. she's 69. I think that was her 69-kilo debut, and I don't think she's going back. Like, some of the ladies um, who went to Girl Power didn't cut because it wasn't – it was, like, a based off of um, calculator. It wasn't, like, a weight class one. It was based mm-hmm. off of dots. But – so, Iris was 69, but she actually, for real, is going to go 69. I'm I'm told at Euros awesome. – yeah, she's going 69. So she and she's done as a 63. Let's take a look at this. Well, she did 505 at Worlds, but she yeah, that's her PR 505. Is it okay? Um, so conceivably she she, she, she did could the, be in the hunt. She did the 495 at the meet, but in her post she said like she didn't peak for anything like that, which is what I was expecting. She just kind of like trained yeah. and then went into the meet for fun. I love it that there are women out there who are just like, yeah, I'm just showing up and doing 495 casually, 500 casually. Or like like Jessica Bittner, who flew to the other side of the world, casually did 557 and a half, which is crazy. 557 and a half. She's a and monster. She, she's a monster. And, um, and that was fun. She was like, you know, whatever. She was casually training if you like, you know, on her instagram posts here and there but not like leading into worlds um like with agatha when she knew agatha's coming and it was like oh my gosh um mm-hmm. yeah that, that's a whole nother deal what what are some of your goals short term and long term and this doesn't have to be just as an athlete 
just period impact on the game. You have side projects that you have going on that are going to impact the game. Um, you're a coach. Maybe you have coaching goals, national champion, world champion, whatever the heck. Um, and as an athlete, whatever. You answer this however you want to answer this. But what are some of the goals that you have short-term, long-term? Yeah. As, a, as an athlete, since we'll transition from this, my goal is to hit that 535. I really want to pull a 500 pound deadlift. That is like a big deal to me. 527 and a, uh, sorry, 227 and a half would be wicked. Yeah. Um, I think I have a couple more milestones to hit first, but if I could hit 227 and a half at Worlds, that would be wild. And yeah, I want to, I want to be a national champion. That is my biggest and most imminent lifting goal is to win nationals. Um, I've played second at nationals two years in a row. And I am tired of coming in second. Yeah, <laughs> I well, want to come in first. Um, and I think this is the year that I'm going to really be able to push for it. Chandler beat me by 25 kilos. And then Jasmine Penn in the 75s beat me by 15. And so, like, I'm ready to, to be a national champion. I'm very excited about that idea. And going to Worlds will be really cool. I really want that experience. Outside of that, I am studying to uh, go to medical school. That's my plan right now. And so that's my other big goal. And then get this course off the ground. Those are my big three right now. And all of my life is devoted to those three things. Um, holy smokes. Okay, so what do you want to do with that uh, when you go to medical school? What are you looking to be? I'm not sure yet. They tell you not to pick a specialty until after you've gone through school. Okay. But I'm very excited about the idea of doing um, either women's health or sports med. So I like both a lot or yeah. women's sports med, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just uh, combine all of my passions together into one big conglomerate. What if by then you're a world champion is world champion on that goal list in like, let's say you're retired, you're looking back and, uh, do you have world champion on your resume? I can't tell you yet. Not because I'm trying to be like coy or anything or like uh, obtuse. The I don't think that I can see that avenue yet without having national champion under mm -hmm. my belt. Like, yes, the numbers could be there in eight months when I go to Worlds, if I go to Worlds. But I'm trying to take this one step at a time. Like, all right, first, get national champion. Once you have that, then you can start thinking about is world champion possible? But right now, the what I have to do, I know that 522 is incredibly competitive and I'm super excited to have that Carpino one when I realized that that's what I hit. Like after I came off the platform and realized what my total was, mm. I was so excited because that meant a lot to me. But I know I have to improve that by the time I get to nationals. 20 kilos is not that small of a gap to close for those two women for Chelsea and Chris, it's not impossible for them to close a 20 kilo gap. And I need to make that 20 kilos heavier. So, and I don't have to cut now. So now I'm just living at 72 and I'll just water load in. I was, that was one of my other questions is how do you like that weight class? Six, nine kilo fits you just nice then, huh? That's like your optimal. 72 was my optimal. I live at 72. Mm. Um, 69 is fine. I don't mind. Okay, well, fair and enough. Can, yeah, 
it's just not my favorite. So I have to do a little more uh, thought process and work to, to live closer to that. So you're, so, you're the type essentially you don't necessarily like in this, like everybody's different. So you look at it this way in terms of goal setting, like you don't look too far ahead to be like, I'm going to be a world champion. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but my goal is world title. Do you, or like, do you allow yourself to do that? Or do you be like, don't get ahead of yourself. Take it day by day, take it six months by or meet by meet or whatever. I set it up so that I have three huge goals. Um, my, my big goals are world champion doctor. And then I have like some new merit goals for work that I want to hit that are big goals, but, and I've broken those down into, okay, what are the small goals I need to hit in order to be successful at those things? And right now I am honed in on what is the next step. Mm. And for me, it's nationals. It's because it's the same thing, right? If you're, if you're trying to run a marathon at a sprint speed, you're never going to finish your marathon because you're going to get tired. But if you try and run all of your little things closer to sprint speed or like higher intensity, right? All right. I know I have to do these things in order to get to nationals. And then I can like slow down a little bit for a few weeks. And then I ramp back up for worlds. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Like you reverse engineer it. And and then once you figure out, the, the milestones you got to hit. Okay. Now you hyper-focus on that and don't, you can't exactly. live into the future too much. Um, no you off track. right? It's just, it ends up being so nebulous. You're like, okay, I want to be a world champion. Great. How are you going to get there? Mm -hmm. um, first, first you gotta, first you gotta be the national champion. You can't, you can't like start dreaming about how you're going to prep for worlds. If you haven't even gotten the ticket yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Or the offer. Well, at least I think one of the steps was hitting that um, 522.5 and knowing that's that's there now. That's in the back pocket. That's, yeah. That was one milestone that you needed. Um, and you know, you, yeah. you got to do it on the day as well, but the capabilities are there. So that's done. Um, in terms yeah. of what would you get more satisfaction from as an athlete or as a coach, the side projects you're doing, or are they all? Very close, because if I'm honest, when you do what you do, women are going to take it. If, if that's like it, it impacts your side project, women are going to take if inspiration from it. Women who are going to hit barbells, women at gyms are going to be watching, hearing your story and being like, I want that's that's what I'm looking for. That's my goal now. This is like, you know, so mm -hmm. maybe there isn't a separation or maybe you do get more joy from one over the other. Uh, No, they're all the same to me. It's all my how I view kind of like my like life trajectory or life purpose is to improve the lives of women around me and all of those things indirectly or directly do that. And all of those things uh, like being a good athlete is rewarding for myself, but also I know it allows me to reach more people to help them get into resistance training, which is really important to me and get them resistance training. Well, and, becoming a doctor helps me get more people into um, like a healthier lifestyle and helps them achieve the life that they want through probably something that is more challenging for me on an intellectual level as well. Something that's going to uh, challenge me more career wise. And that's really exciting for me. So all of these things are connected. It's not, 
like one is it's not like they're separate they're all mm. part of who i am and i can't let any of them go do you do you have siblings i do i have one younger brother okay listen you if you freaking become a world champion and a doctor your younger brother's like, well, fuck. Okay, what do I gotta join him? <laughs> like, like, this is my brother this... is ridiculously successful, and he's good uh, at sports. I hope because this is a big bars, or or your mom goes to work or whatever, bragging about her kids, and everyone will be like, oh my god, my kid doesn't, <laughs> you know, this, this is woman cra- again. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy standards. Um, but yeah, man, you got some big goals, but you're like obviously right there at them all. Uh, yeah, that's crazy, and. A couple things. So this is more just like, you know, the easy ones, but I ask sometimes, what is your favorite music or artist? If you don't want to hammer down just an artist, you can give me a genre and, or whatever. Or maybe you do got an artist or band. No, I don't have an artist or band. I'm not that connected to music. Um, I think my favorite genre is, especially for lifting, is like, women women's empowerment kind of music like not hip-hop but like women's rock and then um i love country music which oh, is wow. kind of like way off kilter but uh <laughs> yeah. i absolutely love country music and it is what i listen to for 90 percent of my training no only shit. when i really have to get amped i will listen to uh like rock i like honestly um there are times when it doesn't have to be like hardcore music you listen to something emotional and it brings you into the state you need then you get up under that bar like it's sometimes you get that where you're it it brings whatever whatever motivation you need whatever you need to think about and you're like that song brings me have you ever seen leah babwa when she's listening to celine dion and it is like some you know kind soul music like emotional music and Mm -hmm. she's straight up emotional and then she's like wolf gets under the bar then it whatever it is man it's uh whatever the motivation is it doesn't have to be like yeah. the hardcore no i think a lot of people use emotion to to lift whether it's anger or like uh a different kind of emotion totally i think that's and when half- i'm just doing regular training i just use happy <laughs> well, yeah because you don't want to yeah exactly you don't want to be sometimes like too well too right yeah um i think that's part of the allure of weightlifting is digging deep and conjuring some emotion and feeling something mm-hmm. just bringing it in so many people in their day-to-day you've done your job you go home you watch netflix you make dinner you whatever but there's something about taking yourself to some states and like you're under the bar and you're not thinking you can't you can't think about other things when you have like hundreds of pounds on your back and you're working and there's something about all therapeutic about the whole thing we just talked about but they do go hand in hand yeah music and lifting go hand in hand often now here's another totally okay favorite favorite movie or actor actress uh favorite movie is called the peaceful warrior i watch it before literally every powerlifting meet what's Um, this tell me about it i don't think i heard about it so it's the story of dan millman he is a real person he broke his legs uh in an accident but he was a college gymnast and it's his story about coming back from that injury I send it to one, a lot of my clients, because I think it's a fantastic movie, but also it is so empowering to think about that, this journey. And this is what I think about during meets. I'm like, you are on a journey. And the only thing you need to think about right now is 
right now. And so like, that's, it's my favorite movie. I watch it all the time. And if it's not that, it's probably Tangled. So, or Moana. I really like Disney movies. What's, what's, okay, those are Disney movies. Gotcha. I was going to say, I never heard of those, but got you. If those are, yeah, yeah. What? I don't watch any Disney movies. I'm not into the Disney movie scene. I'm not, but I'll check them out. Are they like, what are those like? Are they sports related? I think or you they... should check out, uh, no, I don't think you like the Disney movies. It's fine. You should check out Peaceful Warrior though. Okay. I don't have to, I don't yeah. just watch sports movies, by the way. Like I love like all types of different movies, but I, mean, I don't know. At... I think you just watch sports movies. That's right. That's me. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. You um, just sit and you watch powerlifting and then you watch sports movies. Can you, <laughs> you imagine that's all I do is just bang, bang right there. That's I've why. Never... I oh, and UFC. Sorry. I, right. I missed one. There it is. There I've it never is. heard this movie, but Ryan, it has a uh, Nick Nolte and Amy Smart in it. So really? Yeah, it might be worth it. It's a good watch. movie. Nick Nolte um, himself, he's like obviously, was he an Academy Award winner? But he at one point fell off the rails, um, like was like in rehab the whole nine and then brought himself back to prominence and started getting major movie roles again. I saw him in like a, he's, I like a good comeback story, underdog story, whatever. And Nick Nolte is like literally that, um, especially with some of these famous people you see their whole lives play out in front of you in the media but um yeah my favorite i think you'll like this movie okay i'm gonna I check really it do. out you're gonna send this to me just like all your clients now here it is um now you I'll got my email you link too. to it that's right you got my email it's coming i already know it's coming you probably forwarded I'm it right there send you. <laughs> that's just right a prime link here you go there it is i'm in um and Last one, uh, favorite food or like not, if it's not specific, you could say like not genre, but like Italian. But if you don't want to, if you want to get more specific, you could say, cause Italian's very bad. Or you could be like pizza, unless pizza's not Italian either. I don't know. We're finding a lot of okay, things. I out. do have a favorite food, but it's not, it's a little different. And I like this food because of the way you have to eat it. It's very communal. It's called raclette. Um, and what it is, is it's potatoes with cheese on top of them and all the fixings, like whatever you want on top. But the reason I like this is you cook like bacon or onions or peppers on, it's like a big communal, uh, stovetop and, or griddle. And then you all have your own individual paddles that you put all of your fixings on and then mm. you melt cheese on top of it. And then you pour it over the potato Yes, that's my favorite food. It's called say raclette. less. Say less. Yeah. What's this thing called again? Raclette. raclette. It's a style that? of cooking. R-A-C-L-E-T-T-E, I think. Is this available in Malta? Because <laughs> that's what the itinerary is. than it is American. The, the way she but... was first describing it almost sounded like poutine. <laughs> I mean, that's also potatoes with cheese on top. So I don't know where we're going wrong. (laughs) Right. You're not going wrong with either. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. But my favorite part about Rooklet is it's always my family traditionally does it around the holidays. And it is my favorite way to converse with other people while you're cooking together and then Mm. eating together. And you go like you cook multiple rounds and it's just really the experience is special, and that's why I like that food. It's also really tasty, but it's more about the experience. Well, that's just it, man. This is like, um, for instance, I talked to like Europeans about like the Super Bowl, and more to your point, where it's more about the experience. And they're like, 
I'm like, oh, I'm going to be watching the Super Bowl at a buddy's. And they're like, I thought you didn't like American football. I'm like, I don't. But it's like part of like Super Bowl comes, you get together, you eat chili, you're at your friends. Like it's all there's like actually it's like cultural. It, there's like a, there's other reasons why we do things. And the, so I yes. get it to your point where you're like part of my memories of it is family getting together and it's mm-hmm. like a we are working on a project together and it takes X amount of time. Yeah. And at the end of this project, we'll eat it together and enjoy it together. And like, so you have a bunch of feelings attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most people feel that way about food. And this is probably my biggest issue with kind of how kind of circling back to what we've talked about earlier is with weight cutting, you're missing out on so much of that social interaction. Like food is so much more than just what fuels your body. We associate it with emotion and with memories and it's part of our social setting and construct and it's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, And the last question, what would you tell the younger version of yourself if you got a hold of her? Think about Claire back in the day when she would have needed some kind of advice. She would have needed something. Think about a time like that. And here you are having achieved everything you have, knocking on the door, being a doctor and all these, everything you've done and everything you've learned. And this is yeah, the toughest question. So I know, I, I know it is a tough question because I don't know, like right off the bat, I don't know what I'd tell myself, but I think I'd tell myself the, the future you're hoping for is not the future you're going to get, but what you get is so much better. Um, I never imagined myself where I am now. Like I'm thinking about when I was in high school, like that's when I would want to talk to myself is like in high school, like you, I'm playing soccer at the time thinking like, that's the route I want to go. And I'm like, you don't go that route. You actually, I ended up quitting soccer a year later, but where you are now is so much cooler. Not necessarily like being an NWSL player would be freaking dope, but (laughs) um, (laughs) what you do now is so much more in line with what, who you are. And I wish I could tell myself to just follow who I am and not try and be what anybody else wants me to be. This is who you are and that's okay. Isn't that, isn't it, um, I mean, it's true. It's probably something that like in 10 years, that Claire, it's a lot, we'll be able to say the same thing this where it's like, what, not necessarily for powerlifting or whatever, but other th- aspects of life, period. What you think you want might not be the best thing for you and you don't know it yet. So it's okay. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I've seen other people like famous people say that as well. Like, I think The Rock actually had a video yeah. that talks about that too. Um, saying, yeah. yeah. And you think when you don't get what you want, you think this is tr- crazy. It's the worst thing in the world. It, it could yeah. be anything from relationships to work life to social, whatever. And, um, mm-hmm. and you think, holy shit. And like, I built my yeah. life around this idea. You some We could build our lives around whether it's business to relationship to sporting to whatever. Build your life around something and it changes. Yeah. And you think when it changes, you're like, this is catastrophic. This is my whole future. It's like you were envisioning something, but you, you can't predict the future. It doesn't mean it's worse. It's just different. Hang in the pocket for a minute. Yeah. Just ride this wave. Yeah. Just trust. Also, we're so good at creating narratives that make all of our decisions and what happens to us good things and lean into that. 
keep making the narrative that what has happened to you is a good thing. Like if you don't get a job, it's opening a door for a different job. Like keep singing that song that says, no, I'm going to make the best out of whatever I have. So. And that's, yeah, 100%. And when people are like, uh, yeah, for sure. I do stuff like that. And people are like, dude, you're always trying to be Mr. Positive. I'm like, no, fuck it. Maybe I, I like that though. It helps. Not like I can do it all the time. I'm human. I okay, have my you're moments. gonna love Peaceful Warrior. Like, <laughs> really? I'm <laughs> down and convinced. This is another like... callback. This is another call. You're you're amazing with these callbacks, by the way. You're like, let me throw it back to Peaceful Warrior on you. Well done. Well done. My um, favorite movie. How could I not cut back to it? I got to check it out now. I got to check it out now. I'm interested. I expect um, a full three-page review oh, in two weeks. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Maybe in Malta when we're Teacher eating Claire. that dish um, in some historic building or whatever. <laughs> but um, I really want to see you bring an extension cord and a raclette oven and like pl- just plop down in the middle of some historic place that's and right. plug it in. That's right. Like, and then who's I'll, got the potatoes? Who's got the potatoes? And let me tell you what I thought about that movie. Um but listen, Claire, thank you for coming on. Um, it's been thank amazing. Thank you so much for having me. We had damn near two hours. See how quickly time flies when we start talking? No idea. It is, yeah. Yeah, it it's is amazing. what it is. Um, it's been good. Uh, thank you. for. And anybody listening, let me get this out. Oh, actually, sorry. If you want to thank anybody or shout out the sponsors, uh, I'll give you the opportunity right now. No, I'm good. Thank you. Okay, I'm cool. Oh, grateful to easy. be here. Thank you. How do yeah. people get a hold of you if they want coaching? Uh, the best place to get a hold of me is either through Instagram, which is Claire at Barbell. Nope, that's not right. Claire underscore Barbell Medicine at, on Instagram. And then uh, if you want to email me, it's Claire at BarbellMedicine.com. Bam. The fastest way to get a hold of me. There it is. Um, listen, everybody, whatever platforms you're listening to, subscribe, give us high ratings, reviews. Put this in your Instagram stories. I'll do my best to repost. Sometimes I get lost in the shuffle, but if I see it, I will repost it. And until next time, six pack lap it at six up and we are out.